This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Molecule. Molecule is reimagining the future of clean air, starting with the air purifier. For $75 off your first order, visit molekule.com and enter the promo code FOOL75. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. It's Tuesday, July 30th. I'm your host, Jason Moser. On today's Consumer Goods Show, we've got more earnings to get to with Beyond Meat and Under Armour, neither of which is having all that great of a day. But first, we're going to dig into something a little bit less earnings-related and a little more sales-related. Joining me in the studio this week via Skype, and actually, he should have been here in person, so I'm a little (laughs) salty, but you know, we'll just let it go this time, because I know he'll be here in a couple weeks anyway. Fool.com contributor Dan Klein. Dan, what's up? I uh, had to push this trip back a couple of weeks. Sorry about that. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. Yeah, hey, listen, you know, you get my heart set on one thing, and you got to be, I mean, if, <laughs> if anything, we are able to uh, to pivot and to change and adjust here. And uh, thankfully, the magic of technology, we can still get you in here. Um, you know, we wanted to start today's show. Obviously, we're knee deep in earnings season here, and you've got like 500 companies per day uh, announcing earnings here over the next couple of weeks, it seems like. Um, a company that that did release earnings last week, um, Amazon. We wanted to talk about Amazon, but not really in the context of earnings. We wanted to talk a little bit more about its recent Prime Day. And uh, it, as listeners, um, I'm sure know. I mean, every year now, Amazon has Prime Day, and it's a, it's a way for them to, you know, get everything out there in front of us uh, consumers and just enticing us to click uh, buy for for all of the stuff that we really don't need. Um, this year was a little bit different. Amazon Prime Day was two days. It was July fifteenth and sixteenth. And you know, Dan, while we're not going to see the impact of those sales numbers on this quarter that Amazon just announced, by most measures, it was still a very big uh, two-day stretch for the company, wasn't it? So it's a huge success, and you know, Amazon likes to tout that it was bigger than Black Friday and Cyber Monday <laughs> put together. But I think it's a little bit deceptive. Because when they say Amazon Prime Day, let's focus on those two words, Amazon and Prime. Mm -hmm. Because, yeah, this is Amazon's tag sale. They are cleaning out the warehouse. They are selling all the junk they want to get rid of before they start stocking up for the holidays. And they're offering some good deals from partners and other people, which has forced all sorts of other retailers to offer sales. So it's great for consumers. But the real goal of Prime Day is to get people to either become Prime members, that's the Prime half of it, their Prime membership, so they renew when that comes up, or buy Amazon devices. And by all accounts, it's the biggest day ever for Prime signups, and all of the top sellers that Amazon listed, admittedly, Amazon doesn't give numbers, they they don't provide a lot of detail, all of the top sellers were Amazon devices. And every time they sell you an Echo, a Fire TV, a Kindle, all they're doing is building out their infrastructure. You know, if they sell you a Ring doorbell, which they own, then all of a sudden, it's, you, know, you have to buy the rest of their system. So the purpose of Prime Day is strengthening your connection to Amazon or making people who aren't Prime members feel like, wow, I have to be a Prime member. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, I think, what we've, and you know, we're going to see Apple earnings come out here a little bit later uh, today, actually. And it's always been interesting to look at this um, this sort of divide between Amazon and Apple, because you have, on the one hand, Apple, a company that's always made its money 
selling the devices to people, right? I mean, they sell these high markup uh, right. software or these high markup hardware pieces of hardware. Whereas Amazon, you know, Bezos has always been very clear. He wants to make money on us using his devices, not selling them. So, I mean, these devices all really ultimately are just forms of engagement. I mean, that's why they can sell them for so, uh, you know, so, such a such a, a low price because ultimately it's not about selling you the device, it's about keeping you coming back and using that device and keeping in that Amazon ecosystem. Yeah, we used to talk a lot about owning the living room, the battle for the living room. That goes back to when we, you know, the days we talked about Sony versus Microsoft. Now that all of these digital assistants and smart TVs are out there, it becomes who has that footprint. And there's not actually a lot of ordering that's happening. Like, technically, I could say, uh, and I won't say it because I'm in the same room as the device, <laughs> Amazon, Amazon device, order me some paper towels. <laughs> and if I said the proper name of the device, it would make the little bloop bloop, and it would do that, and it would order me some paper towels. Not a lot of people actually do that. That doesn't matter. Amazon will figure that out. Once they control all the devices, they will figure out how to get you to use those devices in the way they want to. Apple does some of that. If you're on a Mac or an iPhone, you're in a closed loop system where you have to buy your media from them. You have to buy your apps from them. Amazon gets some of that, where if I'm flipping around in my Fire TV and I want to rent a movie, I do that from them. If I I'm not a Netflix subscriber and decide to subscribe from Netflix, I could go to my computer, but chances are I'm just going to do it right from my remote control there. So this is like staking out your territory. It's like a mad dash for control. And Amazon has been very smart about it. Its devices are cheap. And I have, I don't know, seven, eight Echoes and Echo Dots, <laughs> uh, a bunch of Kindles. Like I don't even use a, a Kindle Fire, and I think I have like three of them because they used to be a really good way to watch a movie on a planet. Now I just do it in my iPhone. So the success of Prime Day is creating a holiday that's all about Amazon. It creates kind of the frenzy you get when there's a big Apple product release, and I think even Apple struggles to do that. I don't think when the the iPhone 11 or X1 or whatever the heck they call it comes out in September, October, you're going to see the sort of frenzy you used to when there were major new features and big changes special but do you know anyone of any age that wasn't aware it was prime day for those two days no i think most people were aware of it because i mean obviously with social media now i mean stuff gets around whether it's facebook or instagram or twitter or whatever else um i mean yeah i mean to your point it is it is it's it's all about marketing i mean it is just about getting that amazon name out there and just creating that awareness that pretty much Amazon can do anything that you need them to do at this point, and it's going to be at a pretty darn good price. Yeah, and they also did something pretty amazing. I, I wrote an article before Prime Day about what the benefit was to brick and mortar, and the study. And I apologize for not not naming or citing the study. The study, um, the study said that the biggest benefit is actually to Amazon itself, to Whole Foods. So when you're looking at brick-and-mortar retailers, Amazon has done a wonderful job driving traffic to its own brand. And they did something really smart, that if you shopped in Whole Foods a few weeks before Prime Day, you got $10 to spend. And I had actually intended to sit out Prime Day. I had decided there was nothing I needed, so I wasn't going to get sucked into a deal. <laughs> and what happened was, I went, but wait a minute, I have $10 to spend. And I think I only spent 
spent 14, 18. Like I didn't spend a lot on top of that, but I did go to Amazon. I did buy something. They had a chance to get me to buy more. And that's just a brilliant tie in. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, we see Starbucks do those same types of things, right? It's all about figuring out a way to create you to spend, whether it's a limited time drink or a treat receipt or you know whatever it may be. They're figuring out ways to get you in there, even when you really don't need to. And I mean, I'm like you. I don't. I actually don't think I did buy anything on Prime Day because I just really didn't need anything. But I did look around to see if there was some stuff I, I might want because I always feel like I'm going to find that piece of home improvement equipment that I've been longing for, you know, like whether it's this awesome nail gun or you know some type of chainsaw that I feel like I could benefit from. I mean, you know, there's all sorts of stuff going on when you're a homeowner. And honestly, I didn't find a lot of that stuff. So I was a little bit disappointed from that perspective. But you know, one of the things I was looking back here um, with Amazon, looking back at Jeff Bezos's ledger to shareholders here at the beginning of the year, well, you know, in April. Um, you know, it is obviously Prime Day is all about Amazon, but really increasingly. Amazon is also all about those third parties, uh, those third party providers, those independent third party sellers that are selling stuff on their platform. Because if you go back to 1999 and you look at the percentage, the share of physical gross merchandise sales sold on Amazon by independent third party sellers, that share in 1999 was 3%. You fast forward to 2018, it was 58%. So you have to figure, too. Those third-party sellers yeah, are, are starting to look at Amazon Prime Day and think, hey, you know what? This is a big chance for us, too. And this is a massive advantage for Amazon over uh, yeah. Walmart. They've been able to get this sort of you know huge base of sellers, and in most cases, they get paid for the warehousing, they do the shipping. So, it really is sort of like Amazon getting to have a bigger inventory. And not only not having to buy that inventory, they actually get paid if that inventory <laughs> doesn't move. So, it's sort of a, a, a win, 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 win. I don't know how many wins. It's a lot of wins for, for Amazon. And as a customer, that made Prime Day better. Again, I didn't buy anything, but some of the things we looked at were better deals from third parties. You know, there were some more interesting stuff. Had I not just bought a Roomba, I might have bought a, a robot vacuum from a third party seller. So there, there was sort of some interesting stuff there. And yeah, these are more important. And Amazon has to show traction for those people because both Walmart and eBay are trying to lure those third party oh, sellers. Oh, there's no away. question. And, and don't forget about Shopify either. I think that's going to be a legitimate competitor here in that space uh, for many years to come. Uh, Let's take a, a little bit of a different uh, direction here. We're moving beyond e-commerce and, and going into the market of meat substitutes. And I mean, you're still not really used to saying that, but I mean, hey, you know, we'll just we'll <laughs> figure out how we can make this work. Uh, we talk about beyond meat. I mean, obviously, a tremendous uh, first few months here in the market after its IPO. I mean, the stock has just been on fire. Uh, they recently released their their first quarter announced uh, their first quarter results came out this morning, I think, or was it last night? Um, and last and night. Uh, you know, I mean, I think a lot. It, it was a lot of what we expected. Tremendous top line growth. They're not profitable. The stock now is trading at around fifty five times full year sales estimates. I mean, that's, you know, I mean, virtually any market, that's crazy. But we also understand the reason, right? There's a lot of excitement behind this company and what they're doing. So people like the product. 
they also like the sort of momentum it has. You know, we're, we're going to talk uh, very briefly later in the show about <laughs> Dunkin' Donuts. And Dunkin' Donuts added a Beyond Meat sausage, and that got an enormous amount of attention. What's not going to get an enormous amount of attention is the very tiny amount of people that go to Dunkin' Donuts and order a Beyond Meat sausage yep. sandwich. Because, yes, there's a certain person who maybe is at a Dunkin' Donuts that's the, the customer for that. But we've seen over and over with McDonald's that a pivot to healthy is rejected by consumers because you don't go to McDonald's for healthy. So a lot of the places that are like, yes, it's very good when, it, when an upper-end restaurant adds a Beyond Meat product because then you're serving a wider audience. But when a fast food chain does it, that's a gimmick. And I, I, I really question whether someone who really takes care of themselves and make good, makes good food choices was going to McDonald's or Burger King or any of the places – McDonald's isn't actually serving this, but Burger King is – or Dunkin' Donuts – just to get this. So yeah, maybe there's some incremental sales in person who's stuck at the airport looking for a healthy choice, but I'm not sure the underlying excitement of all the places that are picking this up is going to translate into long-term sales. And I've said this before, I, I, I eat largely gluten-free. And a lot of places add gluten-free items, and then six months later, again, Dunkin' Donuts, a great example, had a packaged gluten-free donut, and it sold through once, and then it kind of went away, and you never saw it again. I worry about that for Beyond Meat, because I do feel like it's kind of a gimmick. Like, if you're a vegetarian, I'm not sure you want a cheeseburger. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you there. I think, generally speaking, uh, a vegetarian, I mean, I'm not a vegetarian. I would imagine that a vegetarian would be looking at something other than a burger anyway. I mean, (laughs) when it comes to the restaurant, you do have to wonder, I mean, longer term, is the juice really worth the squeeze here? I mean, we know that when it comes to restaurants, the more dynamic you add to that menu, the more you have to manage. And when you're talking about a meat substitute, um, obviously, very new to the market. I mean, they haven't even gotten their supply chain figured out really fully either. But to your point, too, I I don't know that people. I mean, I don't think people really are going to a fast food restaurant for that type of um, transaction, right? I mean, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, they're not going there to eat right. healthier. Now, the flip side of that is, and I do feel like in a lot of cases, it seems like to me. With these types of offerings, the fast food industry is probably where it's the easiest to make that switch. In other words, I feel like you know your your meat substitute is probably going to be something that's fairly similar to the meat um, that was already being used in in the product before, right? So I mean, it seems like you probably wouldn't see a big difference. Yeah, it's, in the product. it's it's the difference between offering chicken or beef. Like it's a very simple switch from a production line point of view. But you also have the question of, are they going to order it? And I don't want to sound super negative on this company, because I think from all accounts, it's a good product. There's a lot of growth for it. I think the home market for you know families that have vegetarians and non-vegetarians to be able to throw a veggie burger on the grill next to the regular burgers, maybe a little bit away from the regular burgers, I definitely think there, there's a very strong market for that. But Look, their sales increased by two hundred and eighty-seven percent. I don't think that's a sustainable. No, and it's coming rate. off a small base and, too. I mean, let's let's be honest. Right, and and they are they have a position, and it's a very challenging position where they have to make capacity decisions, and at some point. They're going to say, ooh, let's, let's hold off a little bit, or they're going to build too much capacity. So they've done a very good job so far of managing growth, keeping their loss very tight, 
But this isn't a small sum business where they can, you know, build up capacity as needed. These are factories, essentially, and it is a very expensive game to play. I think there's a nice product line here. I think it's a good acquisition target when the when the stock crashes. I'm not sure it's a high growth company the way investors are treating yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, I you, you said when the stock crashes, I, I tend to agree with you there. I mean, I feel like it's just a matter of time. This valuation makes zero sense, um, in particularly in a market where you just, I mean, there are so many substitutes out there, and I mean, I'm not talking about the company out there that's trying to make the same type of product. As Beyond Meat. I mean, I'm talking about all of the different dietary options that are. I mean, there's just a million substitutes out there. You mean like just not eating meat? (laughs) Not eating meat or a black bean burger or whatever it may be. There's just a million different ways you can change your menu to accommodate really whatever you're trying to do. And I guess there really are some questions as to the the general health benefits of this product at this point. I mean, there is still somewhat of an unknown uh, when it comes to the the real health trade off there, isn't there? Yeah, and I mean, look, I don't want to compare this to vaping <laughs> because obviously we're pretty sure that that bringing anything into your lungs is sure. bad for you. But this is one of those ideas that because it's plants, it's good. Do you remember when everyone thought, "Oh wow, McDonald's and Wendy's have salads; those must mm-hmm. be good for you." And then you realize that they're like salads with blue cheese dressing and fried chicken, <laughs> and, you know, and like you know, the study would come out like. A Wendy's salad, or okay, not a fast food chain salad, is actually worse than eating two Big Macs. Like, and I'm not saying that's the case here, but this might be turn out to not be sort of as beneficial as people think it is to their health. And obviously, eating less meat is good for the planet. There's lots of benefits to this, but there is another shoe that's going to drop, and that is that about 3.25 million shares of stock are being put into the market. Um, Partially by 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 insiders who want to yeah. cash out, and a very small amount, about two hundred fifty thousand, by the company for added proceeds to fuel. So while that's only three point two five million in about a sixty million float, it's still a sign of the insiders going like, maybe let's get while the getting's good. Um, so that that's got to make you a little bit nervous. I, I think that's a very reasonable way to look at it. Uh, just uh, before we continue, I want to remind everybody, this episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Molecule, the world's first molecular air purifier that reduces symptoms for allergy and asthma sufferers. Molecule has introduced a breakthrough science that is finally capable of destroying air pollutants at a molecular level. In fact, Molecule's technology has been personally effective and verified by science, but most importantly, Dan, it's been tested by real people. And you know who one of those real people is, Dan? Chris Hill. That's who. I've been working with Chris for almost 10 years now. And when I tell you, he tells me about how good something like Molecule is, I listen. All right. Molecule has given allergy and asthma sufferers around the country an all new experience. Molecule destroys airborne pollutants on a molecular level with technology that has been developed for over 20 years by the director of the Clean Energy Research Center at the University of South Florida. Molecule's patented dual filtration system and proprietary photoelectrochemical oxidation can break down a pollutant to its basic harmless components. Molecule is easy to clean, it's easy to use, it has a sleek design from the materials used on the device like its sleek solid aluminum shell to a filter subscription service where filters regularly arrive on your doorstep when you need them. I love it. 
when that happens. For $75 off your first order, visit M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E.com and enter the promo code FOOL75. That's M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E.com and the promo code FOOL75. Okay, Dan, another company that is having a less than stellar day. Uh, let's talk for a minute about Under Armour. Uh, the results came out this morning here before the market opened. And, you know, it, there was some good news and some bad news. This is a business very much in transition, trying to rebound a little bit from a strategy snafu um, they, they implemented so, a couple un- of years ago. Under Armour is facing, they're facing some retail headwinds. There, there's a couple of things. There's the overall negative brick-and-mortar retail that's creating problems for brands. There's the bigger headwind of companies like Dick Sporting Goods, which is a pretty important chain for Under Armour, have decided to devote more floor space to their own owned and operated brands. That means that Under Armour has a couple of choices. They can build out their distribution network. I have an Under Armour outlet down the street from me, and I I shop there all the time. As I'm sure you can all tell by my (laughs) physical condition, I am uh, dedicated to the Under Armour. Uh, But that that said, they're not as front of mind as, say, a Nike uh, with as many people. So what they've been working on is growing their direct-to-consumer sales, and that's been working. That that's about 35% of their business, and that number was up. So yeah, people are reacting badly to the sort of overall, you know, revenue number basically even in terms of revenue up 1%. Um but I think the reality is the company has a plan, and it's executing pretty well. On yeah, its I plan. don't disagree. Actually, I come from the perspective of I mean, I've I've been a fan of this company for a long time, and I mean, we enjoyed we enjoyed it on the way up. You have to take your lumps on the way down, and and certainly, uh, you know, there were a couple of years ago. I think Kevin Plank made a uh, you know he made a conscious decision to. Uh, boost inventory levels to really, in the, in the name of trying to get product out to people uh, as quickly as possible, and I think on on its on its own that seemed like at least you know an idea. I mean, it was it, we we all had our questions <laughs> regarding it, and and it it really didn't work out. The numbers I was saying really to watch out on Market Foolery a couple of weeks back. North American sales. If you look at North American sales this year. Um, in the first quarter, they were down 30%, and in this quarter, they were down 3%. A year ago, in those same quarters, it was flat and up 2%. But here's something that's really interesting, and I was talking about that inventory strategy. When you look at this quarter, inventory levels for the company were down 26%. Now, that sounds like a lot, and it is. It actually is a really good thing when you consider last year the same quarter. It was up; inventory levels were up 11 percent. And if you just go to the first quarter, inventory this year was down 24 percent versus being up 27 percent the same quarter a year ago. And this is Under Armour recognizing, which it didn't at first, that it's in the apparel <laughs> business, not the sports lifestyle business. business. So. <laughs> yeah, so there's a certain percentage. Under Armour could probably stock an endless amount of plain black shirts with its signature material. It's always going to sell those. They're always going to be a big hit. But a big percentage of its business is going to be trendy. It's going to yeah. be designs. It's going to be what an athlete that endorses it wears. And the life cycle for that isn't forever. So they have to identify 
they're perennials. You know, when, when you go to a Nike store, you can always buy a black T-shirt with the Nike logo and a swoosh on it, which is actually what I'll be changing into <laughs> after this show. Um, you know, so you can always buy that. So it doesn't matter how many Nike has, they'll eventually sell them out. Under Armour has figured out that it's okay to run out of certain things. In fact, when it comes to sneakers, which you know, Under Armour is not a big player in sneakers, but they do sell them, it actually is good to run out of stuff. It creates value and scarcity and makes people you know, shop quickly. So managing your inventory tightly keeps you from having to discount. And you know, it's probably going to make my outlet store less of a good deal. But for the company, it helps them control Yeah, absolutely. Cash. And I think that's really one of the big drivers of this sort of uh, you know revenue stagnation in the near term is the fact that these inventory levels are coming down so quickly. A lot of that means they are discounting. They're trying to get stuff out of the way here because they are moving back to that strategy of of trying to focus a little bit more on a premium product, going to back to really what the business was was founded upon um, in the first place. And so I mean I, I can certainly see the market's lack of patience, you know, in today. Yeah, but. and they took that money and used it to pay down debt. They paid off $591 million of debt in the quarter. So, the less debt you have, the more flexibility you have. So, if an opportunity comes up, they're in a better position to go after it, and they're going to have to do some advertising. Whether that means traditional advertising, or or, or athlete sponsorship, or venue sponsorship, there is still a lag between Nike, who's almost certainly their top competitor, and Under Armour in terms of the everyday non-athlete. They sell plenty of Under Armour t-shirts, or they have plenty of inventory that are not that athletic, sweat-whisking material. They're just t-shirts. So, they need the non-athlete to think the brand is kind of cool, or they want to wear it because the quarterback on their team wears it. And that's something you have to do strategically. Obviously, Nike does it incredibly well. If you saw their their post-Women's World Cup commercials, or their Tiger Woods post-Masters commercial, Under Armour has to figure some of that out. But they're sort of maintaining their ability to do that, and their international sales were up 12%, which is a strong sign as yep, well. Yep, slow and steady. I feel like they're making the right steps here, but it's going to take a little time for sure. All right, Dan, before we wrap it up here, let's just give our listeners one to watch here for the coming week, talking about a couple stocks we have our eyes on here with earnings continuing to roll out. What's a stock that you've got on your radar this coming week? So, you actually suggested this to me, but yeah, it's Duncan. All right. uh, and the reason I'm watching Duncan is it's hard to figure out where they sit in the marketplace. Are they the low-cost alternative to Starbucks? Are they the blue-collar brand? And what you have to watch is they just spent a lot of money revamping their espresso platform. And in theory, that should steal some business from Starbucks and ramp up check size from existing customers and say, hey, instead of having an iced coffee today, maybe I'll try an espresso-based drink. So you want to look at same-store sales, but you want to also look at foot traffic and average revenue per check or average revenue per user and see where they are. I'm not overly optimistic. I think they're going to sort of tread water, but they've surprised me in the past. Yeah, you know, Duncan has always really done a great job executing on the food side. We've always been a little bit critical of Starbucks from that perspective. But I tell you, one thing I noticed in Duncan the other day, uh, man, those drinks have so many calories. You really got to be careful of that these days. Those menus are just, they're kind of getting out of control. It's actually something Starbucks has done very well compared to its competitors. 
if you go to a Starbucks and order through the app, you see exactly what the calories are, and you can make substitutions. I want sugar-free mm-hmm. syrup. I want skim milk instead of heavy cream. The default at a Dunkin' Donuts tends to be cream yeah. and sugar. <laughs> That's just sort of how people ordered their iced coffee. It's a New England thing, you know. Where, where I'm from, that area, so uh, you know, I, I my whole life that you have to like really ask for milk <laughs> if what you want is milk. Um, and I don't think their customer base thinks about that as much. But as they push into to espresso, I wonder if they should be clearly marking a skinny version, making it a little bit easier. Because while they have a decent app, they don't have the flexibility of the Starbucks one or sort of the transparency that Starbucks does. So yeah, it's a ton of calories and you might get a donut with it. And honestly, I think they execute breakfast sandwiches very well, but I think their donuts have gotten progressively worse and smaller over the years. And again, I don't eat a lot of donuts. I'm largely gluten-free, but their donuts don't look like what they used to. And I think, okay, they took that word out of your their name, but to most people, they're still Dunkin' Donuts. Maybe it's time to revamp that and put a focus back on donuts. Not a bad idea. Not a bad idea at all. Uh, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep an eye here on Kraft Heinz. Kraft Heinz earnings uh, hit later on Thursday, and I mean, this really has just been a train wreck of a stock for some time here. And I mean, it was it was all based on you know the the whole. The, the rolling of Kraft into Heinz, rolling of Heinz into Kraft. You remember Buffett and 3G with Berkshire Hathaway and 3G? They they had a big uh, investment there in Heinz. Yeah, I, I always kind of was a little bit hesitant there with that one. I feel like Buffett maybe relies on those old state brands and assigns them a little bit more value than he does. Uh, but you know, hey, I mean, maybe I'm wrong here. I mean, they are certainly uh, a lot of brands in that portfolio that still uh, have a lot of shelf space in the grocery store. Uh, but when you look at the business, generally speaking, I mean, you look back to February. I mean, they had to slash their dividend by thirty six percent. I think it was wrote down about fifteen billion dollars on two of its biggest brands in Kraft and Oscar Mayer. They had an SEC investigation. I mean, there are just a lot of question marks with this company that I think are still very much unanswered. And again, I'm just not sure they still have the same brand resonance that they maybe once did when we were growing up. But hey, I could be wrong. I think the challenge facing them is the brands are kind of stayed. So when they put out a new product, are you that excited about a new macaroni and cheese package? <laughs> or now it's ketchup, but it's mixed with mayonnaise? Or like, like there are a lot of brands out there that if they introduce a new product, it can be a huge deal. A new cereal from Kellogg's can be like get like mainstream mm-hmm. news coverage. Other than some of the the Kraft Heinz products getting coverage for how stupid they seem. <laughs> I don't feel like they can move the needle in terms of like, oh, I got to get to the grocery store to get this new, again, like Kraft macaroni and cheese in slightly more yellow, <laughs> like <laughs> faster. You can cook it in eight seconds instead of 10. Like, I don't, I don't know where they could go, but it feels like these brands need a revamp uh, and really just some more energy. You're talking about them. new cereals out there, Dan. Don't sleep on the new Pop Tart cereal. I'm telling you. I mean, I've had the strawberry <laughs> one, the strawberry frosted Pop Tarts, and then there's like a brown sugar cinnamon one. I've had the strawberry. It was really good. You may want to give them a shot. Call me when they add marshmallows. <laughs> well, Dan, thanks a lot for being with us today. It's great talking to you again. I'm looking forward to seeing you here in the office in the next uh, next couple of weeks. I'll see you All in right, a couple of weeks. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Today's show is produced by Austin Morgan. For Dan Klein, I'm Jason Moser. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.